I'm so sorry. You know, we do. We're using borrowed equipment and patchwork equipment because of the fire, the lightning fire. So uh, that's not their fault. And uh, half of it was mine. Not turn on. Forgive me, please. Today we're starting a new series called Guardrails. Now, you know what a guardrail is, especially those ones that are on a highway. Okay, especially those ones that are on a mountain road. You know, and there's a cliff on this side, okay? So there are certainly highway barriers or guardrails, okay? Then there are pedestrian guardrails too, like this one, all right? And you know, most time we don't really appreciate those or pay much attention to them. However, if you were in the Grand Canyon and you decided to go out on this horseshoe walkway over the Grand Canyon, you would probably appreciate those guardrails that would keep you from falling 5,000 feet below to your death. Would you not? So guardrails are good for us. And we're going to talk about the guardrails that our loving Heavenly Father has given us. He loves us so much. And, and he, he gives these guardrails. You know, sometimes we read the guardrail, and we don't like that. Okay, he's telling us not to go where we want to go. But those guardrails protect us. They, they save our family. They save our friendships. They save our, our finances. They save our future. They, stay, they save because of God's great love for us. So we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at different passages uh, uh, over the next few weeks. But Ephesians 5 gets us started with these words, be very careful, be very careful. Someone said life's not a playground, it's a battleground. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, or the word is foolish. Don't live foolishly, don't be a fool, but be wise. You see, <coughs> people who are wise... Don't jump over the guardrails that God has given us. Because God loves us so much, he tells us in his word, he tells us what's dangerous. He, he tells us what would destroy us. And, and God doesn't give the guardrails to take away our fun. He gives them to save our family and our life and our future and everything about us. God gives us guardrails so we won't go over the cliff spiritually, morally. Uh, relationally, financially, every area of our life, they protect us. The verse goes on, and this is really, really important for us in, in our day, in our country, in our culture. Making the most, verse 16 says, of every opportunity, every situation that you face, because the days are evil, okay? Now, we're not going to get into a discussion about how evil they are or whatever. But as it relates to guardrails, friends, our culture is not going to encourage us to accept the guardrails that God's laid out for us. Okay? In fact, the world you live in will try to push you over them. A, a culture mocks people who live by God's guardrails. 
You know, Tim Tebow was very outspoken about his biblical convictions, and he just got mocked mercilessly. Our culture is not going to do that. The, you know, they'll the probably call you a prude, you know, if, you're, if you obey God's moral guard, guardrails. They're, they're going to say, well, everybody's doing that. that that's old-fashioned. And I want to just talk about four of them here this morning, four <laughs> cultural guardrails, if we can call that, because they don't guard anything. But four ideas that, that, that's so prevalent in our society today. You've heard this phrase, consolidate your debt. Now, doesn't that sound like a great idea? And the idea is, listen, you should, every commercial you listen to every day, you need to buy the latest. You need to buy the best. You, when you get married, you know, when you're young, you need to have everything your parents worked for for 40 years and more and better. And then, because you don't have the money to do that, then when you get hopelessly in debt, and you have so many debts you can't even keep track of, well, the solution is consolidate them into one huge debt. Really? That, that's, that's a good guardrail? Uh, another one. Listen to your heart. What do you feel you should really do? I don't know about you, but when another driver irritates me, my heart tells me to do some stupid things. And everybody doing what their heart tells them, their feelings tell them to do, it's a disaster. And You know, God says the human heart is wicked. God doesn't hate us. God's not saying we're evil. He's just saying we have inclinations that are selfish and self-centered. We're thinking about us and not about other people. Here's another one. Wait until you're ready to have sex. Now, I just want to say, I believe that a woman came up with this one. Just saying. Because if you asked any teenage guy, he says, hey, I was born ready. You know, I mean, let's be honest. Wait until you're ready. And we're going to talk about one today because it's right in our text. All right. We're going to talk about different guardrails over the next few weeks. But we're going to talk about the one that's here in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's the cultural guardrail. Drink responsibly. And that sounds good, okay? But how's that working for us? Do you know that 88,000 people in the United States die every year because of an alcohol-related disease? They wouldn't have got that disease except for the alcohol. 10,000 people die every year from alcohol-impaired driving. Alcohol is, a, is called a huge financial burden on families. You know families, the people that alcoholism has destroyed them financially. And every year the government spends about $250 billion on alcohol-caused issues and problems and in, in the like. One million college students are assaulted every year. Most of them after a, drink, a drinking party. Families torn apart 
drinking increases the likelihood of disease, divorce, early death. You ever heard of anyone who wishes that they hadn't drank? Because when they did, they did something that they'll suffer for the rest of their life. I think there was quite a bit of news on that this week. And our culture tells us drink responsibly. Now, we're going to look at what God says about that, okay? And the reason that we start with this one is because it's right there in the text that we started from in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul directs this issue. And, And there's another reason. See, this is an issue that every one of us, when we become an adult or before that, that we make a decision about, that we decide, that we decide what's going to be good for us and what's not going to be good. And, and friend, God loves us. <laughs> so he's, he's laid out some guardrails for us because that he, he wants to protect us. So let's go on and find out what the, what the guardrail here about this issue. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God's saying, children, (laughs) understand what I'm saying to you for your good, for your purposes. 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means it'll ruin your life, okay, essentially. So what does God say? What does God say here? And, And what does God say in his word about drinking? Number one, you have the right to drink. You can drink, okay? But don't get drunk. Do not drink to excess. It's not a sin to drink, but it is a sin to drink to excess. Second thing that the Bible, and I'm summarizing the Bible here about this teaching, this guardrail. God says to us, you have a right to drink uh, alcohol, okay? But if if your doing so causes someone, a younger Christian, a weaker Christian, someone who like comes from an alcoholic family and you're with them and you're just, you know, drinking, drinking, drinking. If you're going to cause somebody else to stumble, can't you give up that right? You have a right, but can't you give it up? And here I think is the most, th- here's a really good principle that God has in the word. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. says this, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And it goes further. It says, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. That, to me, that is just the overriding principle. If you choose to abstain, never drink, do it because God's honored by it, not because you're legalistic. Not so you can judge other people and think you're better than they are. If you decide to drink, do it because you believe God is directing. Do it because you love God and you love other people around you and this will bring glory to God, not shame, glory to Him by your life and your testimony. Now let's go back to the big principle. That's, that's one example. We'll talk about many uh, next few weeks, okay? But God gives us guardrails. They're the moral laws of God. They're good. They're for our good. And have you ever noticed, like if you're on a mountain road and there's a guardrail, okay, I hope you've noticed that there's a white line before you get to the guardrail. Why is that? 
Because if you run into the guardrail, you're going to cause a lot of damage. I mean, you could die doing that. And, and I think that's a good thing. See, the guardrails are like these moral principles that would destroy us, okay? But there's a white line. And, and I think the white line is kind of like the personal conviction that you and I have about all the moral issues that are in effect in our life. You don't want to be hitting the guardrail. You want to have a white line. You want to have you and your family, you, your family, you want to have the white line and say, we're, we're not going to cross this line because if we do, we're getting into the danger zone now. God's moral principles. So friends, Biblical or personal convictions, we're, we're, we're going to have personal convictions. They ought to come from biblical principles. God said, don't do this because I love you. Okay, well, we're not going to do that. Okay, what's the white line? What are my personal convictions? Now, I, I just got to say, and I'm going to hurry through this, then uh, we'll talk about this more. Personal convictions are personal. <laughs> They're to keep you and your family in the white lines, okay? okay. But they're yours. My convictions are not valid for you, okay? They're personal. They're also regional. You know, if you go to different areas of the United States, you'll find out different convictions about how Christians ought to live and so forth. And I'm not going to say any more about that. We'll, we'll let. They're also generational, okay? I, I, my personal opinion is that my generation, when I was a kid, when I was in, in my in teen years learning about Christianity, we were way too legalistic. We swung over here. I think right now we swung over here. That's my personal opinion. From, you know, there's liberty, there's legalism, and then there's hyper-liberty, okay? And, and God wants us to understand both principles and live in the center of His will. They're also navigable, okay? By that I mean... Your personal convictions, it depends where you are. It depends who you're with. It depends what's at stake. Example, if Donna was being held at knife point and I had a gun, I would give up my legal right to shoot that guy because I'd probably miss and hit Donna. I would give up my right <laughs> To fire that gun. Because Donna's safety is now more important than me executing justice, right? There are times when we need to, we, we have these personal privileges, we have these rights, but there are times when we need to give up our rights. Bible says over and over again, Jesus gave up his rights as the Son of God. And if he wasn't, it, it, as the Son of God in heaven, all the glory... If he hadn't have been doing, if he hadn't have done that, given up his rights, you and I couldn't be saved. We'd have no hope of heaven. Paul understood that. He gave up his rights as a member of the Sanhedrin. He gave up his riches. He gave up his prominence as a Jewish leader. Why? For the sake of people who need to hear about Jesus. Jesus surrendered his rights. So did Paul. We need to understand that principle. Now, to make this real, Okay, I want to share with you my some of my per some of our personal convictions ab about drinking. Okay, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and be honest and be upfront. Okay, N not because you 
need to have the same personal conviction. But because we all need to have personal conviction. We all need to have those white lines that don't send us over the guardrail. If you have different personal convictions, I'm not right and you're wrong, okay? You, you pray about it. God, what's, what's my white line? Where do I want my family to be to be under your protection and to bring glory to you, okay? So here's Donna and my personal conviction about, about drinking, about alcohol. Donna and I don't drink much. We don't drink much. Donna doesn't like to taste. Donna doesn't like the calories. If you ask her, those would be the first two things she'd say. I don't like the taste. I don't like the calories. She doesn't like the calories for her, but she doesn't like them for me either. Yeah, I've already got a peanut butter belly. I don't need a beer belly too, okay? Just saying, okay? I'm going out of limb here. I'm just telling you what, how we arrived at these personal convictions. I don't like the price, okay? I don't like the, here's the big one for me. I don't like the fact that drinking can make a lot of people say and do stupid stuff. I don't need any help doing and saying stupid stuff. I'm already there. I'm already proficient at it, okay? I feel like I need every bit of mental capacity that I was given to live, okay? So, as a rule, Don and I don't drink much. But when there's a champagne toast at a wedding that we've officiated at, and I think if I think the bride and the groom and her parents who paid for all this and want our blessing, if, if I think they think I'd, we're being judgmental and holier than thou, I'm going to take my champagne toast. Four years ago, we went on a mission trip to Hungary to teach English. And one of the students, oh man, they're just so responsive. One of the students, Ava, she and her husband, George, invite us to their house for the day. They, they did dinner for us at night, but during the day they took us to sightseeing and things, and one of the places they took us was for a vineyard, and they had paid for a, a lunch with uh, three different kinds of wine that was grown there at, the, at that uh, vineyard, and, and they served that with bread, and this bread had spread on it, and it was made from cow brain. And we ate the cow brain bread. Wasn't as bad as it sounds, okay? And, and we tasted the wine. We drank the wine because they were saying, what, which one do you like the best? You know, isn't this good? You know, this is our culture. These, these are our people here, you know. Okay, so we did that. And we didn't want to insult our host. And, and we wanted to be like Jesus who didn't act, ever act holier than thou, even though he was. And he drank, ate and drank with the, the wine drinkers of his day. And got judged for it, called a wine bibber, which he wasn't. He never got drunk. Several years ago, a neighbor beside me, we decided to cut some, down some trees that were in between our property. And, and we did. And he had some friends that came over. And, oh, man, we just knocked out this project. And I was so thankful. And he at the end, he said, oh, man, that was great. He said, hey, come on in, Ron. Let's have some beers, you know, and, and celebrate. And, you know, I was 
starting out pastor here, and I said, oh, I'm busy. And I wish I'd gone. I really do. I wish I'd gone in that time. Because I know Jesus loves him. And I wish I'd have shown a, a little more love too. Okay. So, I'm again, I'm just going out and just telling you. The processes, the things we've processed and, and having the white lines because we don't want to go over the guardrails. Now, we, again, we're going to talk about guardrails, and we're just going to talk about one more this morning because it's really relevant, okay? Personal convictions. Have you heard of the Billy Graham rule? In the 1960s, Billy Graham, the advanced, maybe 50s, I don't know, he just decided that for the sake of his marriage, his testimony, everything about it, that he was not going to uh, ride in a car alone with another a lady or, or go to dinner, go to lunch, you know, with uh, a lady that, that was not his wife. And it, you know, came to be called the Billy Graham rule. And Billy Graham was, rather, was admired. He was always one of the most admired men in America. Now it's called the Mike Pence rule. Because two, three years ago, Mike Pence made that same declaration. He said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. What did the press do? Oh, man, they went berserk. They just had a field day ridiculing him for that. Very interesting. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review in May 5th, 2017. Men shouldn't refuse to be alone with female colleagues. Okay? And I read it. And actually, you know, there were some good points about this in this article I had never thought about. Okay, the fact that, okay, well, if, you know, then a company could become a men's club and then women are kept down and not included and, and the like. So, you know, there were some good points. But then they did acknowledge there were dangers to this. And this is how they concluded. Quote, healthy, mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture. Never heard it said that way, okay? Thoughtful cavemen employ their frontal cortex to ensure pudence, prudence and wise judgment in relationships with women and men. Now, I just have one question. Ladies, have you ever met a mature, self-aware, thoughtful caveman? Really not. Have you ever met a, a caveman that was thoughtful and self-aware? Okay. I, I was hoping Donna was going to say, yes, I've met a person like that, but she's painfully silent. Look at there. She's not, she didn't say a thing. And, and ladies, just, you just got to know the testosterone of a man can throw any maturity right out the window. I'm being honest here, okay? We're trying to be real here about real life and how we live. Nobody plans to enter into a violent marriage. But if they don't have a guardrail about their anger, they will. Nobody plans to ruin his or her finances, but if they don't have financial guidelines, they will. Nobody plans to struggle with an addiction. If you don't have white lines, personal convictions about biblical principles, you will. 
if you live by God's guardrails, you may not be cool, but you'll avoid a lot of consequences or penalties. A lot of people say, well, I'll be careful. Well, you won't be careful if you don't have personal conviction. Protect your family, protect your future, protect your finances. Verse 17, we've got to hurry. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery instead. Here it is. How, how do you live? You, you see, we all have things we've said, I'm never going to do that. And we did them. We didn't have the strength. Friend, here's the strength. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God loves you so much. He wants to actually indwell your body with his power, with his purity. He wants to give you the strength to say no to something that would destroy you or your family. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's word gives us the principle. God's Holy Spirit gives us the power. We're going to do something this morning. Uh, this is an experiment. We've never done this before. We're going to try something, and I hope you won't get nervous. Or uh, okay. In fact, after, tell us how you like it. Too often, when we come to church, it's just the talking head up here telling you what to do or what not to do or what God says. You know, we're supposed to be the children of family, God, brothers and sisters who help each other, who encourage each other. And you know one way we do that? By talking about the Lord, by talking about his word, by talking about the sermon. How do we do that? Whatever. Some of you have never been in a group before. Uh, and you're afraid that, you know, you'll have to talk or something like that. Today, we are going to put you, everybody, in one of six groups based on where you're seated, okay? And you don't have to talk. If you're afraid, we're not going to make you afraider, okay? If you're a busy person, we're not going to make you busier. We're going to end the service at the same time. Just a few minutes of these groups, and we kind of talk together. There are six facilitators. Guys, if you'd stand, and uh, we're going to have each of you go to a group, okay, and, and, and talk together for a few minutes. Listen to each other. Learn from each other, okay? So we've never done this before. Hey, this is weird. We think uh, churches ought to take next steps to grow and to, and to experience all that God has for us. So that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to close at prayer, uh, close in prayer. There'll be one prayer. Pastor Mike will, will lead that, all right? So facilities, come on down, get your groups going. You direct them as to where you want them to go. Okay, do it. Jay, Dean, Neil, et cetera.